Let's chat about how to get what you need for your home when you don't have a lot of cash or credit. You can do that at Aaron's. Rent to own appliances, furniture, and tech from top brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. But say you don't need it anymore, no problem. At Aaron's, you can return your product at any time or even upgrade it for something new. Life's always changing. With Aaron's, your stuff can change right along with it. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. See your local store for details. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. The Volume. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight here at The Volume. Happy Saturday, everybody. I hope all of you guys had a great week. Round one coverage of the NBA playoffs here at Hoops Tonight is brought to you by Chase Freedom Unlimited. How do you cash back? This is our last show from Portland. I'm flying home today. So tonight when we go live after Lakers Grizzlies, I'll be back in the studio. I appreciate you guys bearing with me with a little bit of a weird travel schedule this week. We're just going to be breaking down all three games from last night. As the Knicks take a 2-1 lead over the Cavs, the Atlanta Hawks get a game from Boston now that they trail 2-1, and then the Nuggets take a 3-0 lead over the Minnesota Timberwolves. You guys know the drill before we get started. Subscribe to the Volumes YouTube channel so you don't miss any more of our videos. Follow me on Twitter at underscore JasonLT so you guys don't miss any show announcements. And if for whatever reason you guys miss one of these shows and you can't get back over to YouTube to finish, don't forget you can find them wherever you get your podcasts under Hoops. Tonight. All right, let's talk some basketball. So, this was an absolute defensive slugfest in Madison Square Garden between the Knicks and the Cavs. You know, it's funny, I, I talk a lot about how, like, when you see the same defensive matchup time and time and time again, how defenders tend to start to pick up on your cues. Uh, the example I always used to use is like playing against your little brother, or your older brother, or your older sister, younger sister. When you're playing against a sibling every single day in your front yard, even if you're better than them, sometimes just because they play against you every day, they can kind of pick up on your moves and figure out how to guard you. You know what I mean? And like that kind of dynamic takes place in the playoff series to a certain extent. You know, in the random comings and goings of the regular season, you bump into a guy once, you're not going to be necessarily ready to guard him to the best of your ability. But man, come game three, come game four, come game five of a playoff series, you know all of his moves, you've picked up on everything, you're going to do a much better job. And everybody in this series is struggling with their core matchups. Like both Quentin Grimes and Josh Hart have been giving Donovan Mitchell some problems, just chasing over the top of screens and forcing him into difficult pull-up jump shots. 
Um, Jalen Brunson and Emmanuel quickly have both done a great job on Darius Garland. You can see that R.J. Barrett has had some success guarding Karis LeVert. On the other end of the floor, Karis LeVert and Isaac Okoro have both been giving Jalen Brunson some issues just with their length and athleticism. He's been doing better when he's trying to get off of those guys, but in his core matchup, he's struggling to get good shots against them. And then after game one, Evan Mobley struggled with Julius Randle. He's actually starting to have a lot of success with Julius Randle defensively. So all these guys are starting to kind of figure out their defensive matchups, and the result was just this super low-scoring, super ugly basketball game in MSG. And I was actually messaging a buddy of mine that I was uh, um, talking about this particular series with, and I told him, I was like, if Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle don't figure it out soon, they could be in some trouble. Because uh, Donovan Mitchell was still kind of playing a little bit better than those other guys there in the beginning of this particular game. And right there in the second quarter, with about six minutes left, Jalen Brunson finally started to find his groove. And I don't think it's a coincidence, because I talked about this a lot before the series, but Jalen Brunson has a much more methodical approach to the way he attacks defenses and I think he's smarter. It's it's textbook like work smarter, not harder kind of thing. Like Donovan Mitchell is unquestionably a better player that is capable of making uh, that that is capable of generating more separation and making tougher shots. He's got all of the talent in the world, but sometimes he makes it so difficult on himself in a way that's not necessarily needed under the circumstances. Jalen Brunson, you'll notice in this series, he's not isolating Karis Levert or Isaac Okoro, unless he absolutely has to. Like, if it's a late clock, like, there was a play in the second quarter, he calls up Donovan Mitchell to try to uh, to get Donovan Mitchell on a switch and a screen, and Mitchell's doing this, like, hedge and recover thing, and, and he can't get Mitchell on the switch. And suddenly, there's, like, five seconds left, and he's at the top of the key, and he's got Karis LeVert, so he's got to take him to work. And he actually scored on this one with, like, a really nice up-and-under move. But he's not doing that unless he has to. There's no point in taking that super difficult shot until the end of the shot clock when you've tried everything else. And around that, he's finding smart ways to attack. Um, early in that shift, uh, in the mid-second quarter, he calls up Darius Garland into the screen, rejects the screen, gets downhill, gets Jared Allen to step up, drops it off to Isaiah Hartenstein, he gets a dunk. Then we have that play that I told you guys about where he isolates Karis LeVert. Very next possession, he calls up Donovan Mitchell again and knows that he's going to hedge because he just had tried that same hedge and recover move twice on the previous possession and, uh, and, uh, um, uh, Jalen Brunson couldn't actually get him on the switch. So he calls him up again, and he knows that if he stunts to one side, he's going to be able to get Donovan Mitchell to hedge out to that side, which is going to create an opening. So he does this hard in-and-out dribble with his left hand to the right side, and Donovan Mitchell hedges out to that right side, and Jalen Brunson just goes back to the left instead. I think R.J. Barrett was setting the screen. R.J. Barrett gets a really good screen on Karis LeVert. Suddenly, Jalen Brunson is completely downhill, engages Mobley, makes a really nice kickout pass to Julius Randle in the corner. He knocks down the three. Then... Chetty Osman checks into the game, and immediately Jalen Brunson calls Chetty Osman into the screen, gets him on a switch, hits him with this nasty, like, double between the legs crossover move, and gets all the way to the rim and lays it in. Like, again, everyone is struggling, but it makes sense to me that Jalen Brunson was the first guy to kind of figure it out, so to speak. He's just a little bit smarter in his approach, a little bit, a little bit more versatile in the way that he's that he attacks. You know, one of the things that stood out to me 
in a big way in this particular game and really in this series overall so far it's just how much more comfortable the Knicks are playing multiple different styles offensively like obviously the Knicks can run pick and roll and they're going to run a lot of pick and roll but they are way more comfortable attacking matchups in isolation as a matter of fact the Cavs have only run 16 isos in this entire series the Knicks have run 40 so more than twice as much, and they're scoring at just under a point per possession in those ISOs, and that's because they're just more comfortable with guys like Julius Randle, Jalen Brunson, and R.J. Barrett attacking specific matchups that they like. It gives them more versatility in their offense, and it's a big part of why I picked them to win this series. R.J. Barrett finally got it going in this game. I thought it, I, he generated a couple wide-open threes courtesy of his teammates, that he knocked down early in the game, and you could just tell it was like the weight of the world got lifted off his shoulders. He played much more comfortable and relaxed the rest of the game. But really, the Knicks' defense was the the story of this game. They held the Cavs to just 79 points. That's the lowest scoring performance from any team in the NBA this season. Um, this was where uh, the damage was done, in pick and roll. they The Cavs ran 45 pick and rolls in this game. And scored just 25 points on them. That's including passes. So that's 0.56 points per possession in pick and roll. That's almost half what you would hope for in that type of play type. Um, the most concerning part in general from Cleveland coming out of this series so far through three games is their offensive struggles primarily have to do with their two best guards, with Garland and Mitchell. You know, it's funny, coming into the series, we thought it'd be the opposite of that problem. We thought it would be the inability of the role players to convert point, uh, uh, spot-up possessions and role man possessions into points. We thought that would be the issue. That has not been the issue at all. The Cavs role players have played really well in spot-up situations. In fact, they're averaging well over a point per possession in those situations. The role players are doing their jobs. They're shooting well. That's not the issue. The issue is... Uh, Darius Garland can't make a shot, shooting 37% in the series. And Donovan Mitchell, despite having a little bit better statistical series than you would think, he's just not managing games well and he's not making very good decisions. And so there's not very much rhythm and flow in their offense. He forces it sometimes when they shouldn't. The one time he played advantage creation basketball in game two and really focused on just creating that initial advantage to get the defense and rotation to help his team, that was the time the Cavs won. And again, like, you know, uh, the same buddy I was texting earlier, he, he made a really interesting point. He goes, it kind of feels like Julius, or in fact, it kind of feels like Donovan Mitchell's trying to have a moment in the garden. And yeah, like probably, but <laughs> not a good idea under the circumstances, especially since like the team plays their best when they have more flow offensively from Donovan Mitchell acting as an advantage creator. Uh, as of right now, I feel pretty good about my prediction um, about uh, uh, with the Knicks winning in six. My guess is they win game four, lose game five, and then win game six to win the series. All right, moving on to Celtics-Hawks. This was a bizarre game. Uh, the Celtics were, like, disgustingly hot from three in the first half, and none of the Hawks starters were playing particularly well. They were kind of playing a little bit off of DeJounte Murray and trying to bait him into some longer contested jump shots and uh, uh, making him a little bit hesitant on how to attack. The guy who really broke things open for Atlanta in the first half is Bogdan Bogdanovich. Um, who got hot. I think he had like 16 in the first half or something like that. That was a huge part of Atlanta getting going offensively. But what I want to focus on in this particular game, because I don't think it has a huge impact on the series. Like the Celtics let go of the rope several times defensively in this game. They had a handful of bad decisions in the fourth quarter. But really this is just, this is just kind of the natural ebb and flow of playoff basketball, especially when you're playing against a good team. And say what you want about this Hawks team. They're playing better basketball ever since Quinn Snyder came on board. And uh, at home, they're like, 24 and 17 this year so they're they're that's a that's a tough place to win 
You're up 2-0 in the series. You're still in control. I expect the Celtics to win this series in five. But I did want to make a shout-out to Trey Young because he struggled mightily in this series in the first two games, and I thought he was masterful in this particular game, particularly in the fourth quarter, um, in the in just the really smart way that he was attacking and pick and roll. So started to, started things in the fourth quarter getting downhill and making like a little floater over Al Horford. And so the Celtics made a simple adjustment. They put Jason Tatum on Onyeka Kongwu and put Al Horford on DeAndre Hunter so that when Trey Young calls Onyeka Kongu up for the pick and roll they could just switch it and they do that you know the idea there is like when you call for a ball screen you want a roll man who's capable of making a certain type of play right like Trey Young loves to throw lobs in pick and roll so he wants to call Onyeka into the screen so that he has a lob threat right but now when he does it's just a switch and Tatum on Trey Young isn't exactly a great matchup for them. But Trey made a really interesting adjustment himself. He just had both of them come set a screen. So he'd have like Onyeka set the first screen and then DeAndre Hunter set the second screen. And he kind of just methodically pulled over to the side and waited for Al Horford to step over too far. And then he hit DeAndre Hunter for the layup. And then, you know, they started switching with Al Horford as well uh, uh, towards the end of the quarter. And it was funny because... Al Horford switches on to Trey Young, and Trey doesn't want to ISO Al Horford, so he sprints over and hands the ball to De, uh, to uh, Dejounte Murray at the end of the clock and says, "You go ISO." Dejounte ends up actually hitting like a little short step back jumper on the left wing, but later in the game, um, with I believe just under two minutes left. He gets Horford on a switch again, and there's not enough time on the shot clock for him to get it to DeJounte Murray, so he has to go try to make a play. And he takes like this impossible step back three in the corner and sinks it. You could tell Trey was just feeling himself at that moment, which is kind of cool because after how bad he struggled in the first two games, it's cool to see him have a real winning impact on the series. That three was a massive shot. A couple possessions later, just under a minute left, I want to say it was like a three-point game at this point or four-point game at this point. Derek White's pressuring him in the backcourt. And Trey, like most great point guards do, leverages that ball pressure to get Derek White on his backside and kind of pins him on his backside. He gets downhill and makes a floater that ends up icing the game. Again, like we could talk all we want about Trey, and there's a lot of bad that comes with Trey. But at the end of the day, he's an outstanding passer, an outstanding high pick and roll decision maker that's got a great deal of offensive skill. He's still a guy who can help basketball teams. He just has some limitations that you have to account for, especially when you're uh, considering him the best player on a team that has real championship aspirations. Like I said, I still feel good about the Celtics in five, though, at this point. All right, moving on to Nuggets-Wolves. This was an extremely impressive and dominant win from Denver, in my opinion. I, I am pretty high on this Timberwolves team, especially on the defensive end of the four. But, you know, once again, they, they keep running into the same problem. With Carl Towns, they have more freedom offensively. They have more driving lanes when he's at center. With Rudy Gobert, they have a higher defensive ceiling, obviously, although they have not defended better with Rudy in this particular series. But they have a higher defensive ceiling with Rudy Gobert, but he junks things up for them offensively. The big thing that stood out to me in this game was the Nuggets started with Jokic, in the, especially in the Conley, uh, the Conley-Gobert pick and rolls. They'd have Jokic basically just do like a soft trap where he's ignoring Gobert and stepping out all the way to the three-point line. Just basically conceding that short roll pass to Gobert. And what really janked up the, the the Timberwolves offense in this game is Gobert is incapable of doing anything out of that short roll position. There was a, a hilarious play in the first half of this game where he catches on the short roll with a head of steam going to the rim. And Jamal Murray is the guy who is from the low man position tagging over on the roller. And Gobert does like like every other big in the entire league ends up shooting that, you know, and, and Gobert just kind of like 
like takes a, a hard step towards Jamal Murray and then panics and then makes like a kickout pass to Nikhil Alexander Walker on the perimeter, right? And now the possession is dead on arrival, even though you drew a double team out at the perimeter. And you know he'd catch on the roll and try to do like a euro step and fumble it out of bounds or or, or just find some way to blow it at the rim. Then there was a huge play at the end of the game. He finally draws a foul. I think it was when it was one hundred five ninety eight. Finally manages to draw a foul on the short roll. And then goes to the line and misses both free throws. And so at the end of the day, like, you know, I've, I've always said, even even back when uh, Gobert was with the Jazz, because Rudy's not the same defensive player now that he was in Utah. But in Utah, I, I thought a lot of the stuff said about him defensively wasn't necessarily true. He was being looped in with all of this criticism surrounding what really was problems with the perimeter players defensively that Rudy was catching flack for. That said... All of the criticism of Rudy Gobert on the offensive end of the floor is real. I don't care what people say about how good of a screener he is. I don't care what people say about how good of an offensive rebounder he is. When you've got a player that even with his physical advantages cannot score or make a make a play in a four on three when he is being completely unguarded, that is a problem. All these other guys we talk about that can't shoot, Draymond Green, that dude can make plays rolling down the floor in that short roll position. That... You have to be able to at least do something coherent offensively, even if you can't score. And Rudy Gobert can't score and he can't pass out of that specific position. And that's what really janks things up for them. Um, on the Nuggets front, Jokic was his typical dominant self. 20, uh, 20 points, 11 rebounds, 12 assists. Um, I'm, I've always been amazed by how easily he can dislodge Rudy Gobert from post position. I've talked about this before, but... You know, on the perimeter, you want to move your feet as little as possible because it's about efficiency of movement in lateral space. Like, you don't want to take negative uh, steps, right? But in the post, like, Jokic keeps his feet chopping all the time. And each time he does that, he allow it allows him to reset his center of gravity and hit Gobert again. And so a lot of times Gobert will absorb the first piece of contact. But then when he gets dislodged, Jokic has already reset himself and is hitting him again. And it's like that second or third bump that'll send Gobert way out of position and then he's getting the shot that he wants. I thought Michael Porter Jr. did a really nice job attacking the rim early in this game that kind of set a tone. Um, then he hit a huge three early in the fourth quarter when the, the Wolves were on a run. They got it down to like five. And uh, then the Wolves went to his zone possession and he had a really nice relocation three to the right corner that he knocked down to put him back up eight. And then Christian Brown was the other guy I wanted to shout out. He made three really big athletic plays to start the fourth quarter. On a play where Gobert was guarding him and stepped up into help, he cut out of the baseline, jumped into Gobert. Gobert blocked the shot, and he powered through him with his left hand and just kind of like feathered it into the basket. Then he had another play running in transition where he made a left-handed layup. And then a couple plays later, he's on the left wing, step for step with Anthony Edwards, one of the best athletes in the league. And he takes off and makes a really nice left-handed finish over the top of Anthony Edwards during an, uh, a Nuggets run. His athleticism, I thought, was really impressive. This series is headed quickly towards a sweep, and I'll tell you right now, uh, I'm, like I said, I'm not, I'm not going to say anything until the end of the first round, but as of right now, where we stand here on Saturday morning, I think Denver has been the most impressive team in the Western Conference so far. Um, and if things stay this way through the end of the first round, I'm going to be tempted to adjust my pick of who's coming out of the Western Conference. Obviously, though, the Lakers and Warriors have plenty of time to um, get things together over the end of their series. And the Suns, it's just really hard to tell when they're playing a Clippers team without Kawhi and Paul George. All right, guys, that's all I have for today. Like I said, flying back to Tucson. So I will see you guys from the studio later tonight after Lakers Grizzlies. I appreciate you guys for rocking with us and supporting the show. See you later today.
Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch, so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com. Dot com slash compatibility.